If you're a Star Trek fan, you should listen to Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast for sci-fi fans with a life. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, this is Chase Masterson, host of Disco Nights, inviting you to join us every Sunday as the disco party continues with our fabulous guests. Like us. Like us. Like you. And you, our audience. So we'll see you here next Sunday night. Bring your disco shoes. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by Jodorowsky's Dune producer Steve Scarlatta and Josh Miller, where they explore some of the greatest movies that were never made, from E.T. 2 to Tim Burton's Superman, Night Skies to Star Trek The Academy Years. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. This is Darren Dockerman. And this is a special encore presentation of the 430 movie, Sword and Sorcery Week. Yeah, when we first aired this, um, we uh, it was one of our most successful shows at the time, and I felt like we did a really great job. Um, you know, some people say, "Why isn't Lord of the Rings on there?" I was like, "That's not Sword and Sorcery." What are you thinking? Yeah, I, it, uh, it it doesn't fit into that. I mean, there are swords and there is some sorcery, but it's it's not that sort of sort of cheapy genre but, that, that we were thinking. But of. you know what? We didn't name check at all, and we didn't mention. Another 1982 classic. Okay, maybe not classic, but it, it's a film that we probably should have talked about. We got uh, Robert Meyer Burnett here, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett of the Burnett work, and yeah. uh, you know, I um, I want to ask him uh, to just tell us his thoughts on Albert Puyon's classic sword and sorcery film, The Sword and the Sorcerer. Oh well, come on! You you have basically the James Bond of swords in this movie. It's got it, it's a it shoots blades out. It's not just one sword; it's like three. And when you need it to, it can take flight, cross rooms, and kill your enemies. I mean, Albert Pune was shown as a visionary because of this film, and it also appeals to Matt Houston fans because, of course, Lee Horsley uh, uh, yes. stars in the Sword and the Sorcerer, <laughs> uh, and the great uh, Richard Lynch is the uh, the villain. Wasn't it Richard? Or was it Richard Mall, or were they both in it? You know, <laughs> I don't even remember. At this point, does it matter? It doesn't matter. It you doesn't. know, and then I guess he did a sequel to that many years later. But people love Sword and Sorcerer. I understand why we forgot to mention it, but uh, you know, it's 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 uh, it's it's a beloved fantasy sword and sorcery classic. Rob, like for Sword and Sorcery Week, you know, on the premise of the four three movies, we curate a week of uh, theme theme movies Monday through Friday, sort of like the old four three movie. What what, what what would what would your film be for Sword and Sorcery Week? Conan. Yeah, Conan made the cut. Conan, the Conan was, I think, um, or you know, I think I, I think when you say sword and sorcery. There's something, it has to be sort of swashbuckling. You need a hero. Krull, maybe, even though it's more science oh, fiction. that was Ashley's mm-hmm. pick. I'm giving away the game now if somebody hasn't heard it. Spoiler alert. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think Lord of the Rings is a sword and sorcery movie, necessarily. I think a sword and sorcery film has to be traditionally more pulpy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, look, for, for those of you listening, um, this is uh, going to be a special encore presentation. Originally aired uh, earlier last uh, earlier um, last year, late last yeah. year, something like that. Yeah. And um, we're going to be back with all new episodes of the 430 movie this spring. Um, but in the meanwhile, enjoy some of our most popular episodes from season one. We'll be back with season two this spring. We'll see you there.
Welcome to the 430 movie. Back in the 70s and 80s, before the advent of VHS, chances are if you saw a classic movie, it was on the 430 movie. With their famous theme weeks, it was a chance to see movies you never saw and get reacquainted with some old classics. Now, on the 430 movie, we take over the vertical and the horizontal and put together our dream team... Our dream team? Our dream <laughs> team weeks <laughs> that you could watch at home and relive the glory days of the 430 movie. Hi, I'm Mark A. Altman, and welcome back. Just dripping with professionalism. To the 430 movie. <laughs> dripping. Dripping. How um, appropriate. I want to take over the uh, diagonal, however. I, I don't want to just do the vertical and horizontal. I want to do the diagonal as well. <laughs> We're going to add some HDR this That's week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get too far and, and announce this week's theme, uh, I want to introduce you to our panel of expert programmers. Uh, we have Ashley E. Miller, writer for such films as Thor and X-Men First Class, and TV series such as Fringe, Black Sails, and the upcoming Lore Season 2, which drops on Amazon this month. I have the greatest enthusiasm for the mission, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> we are also joined by Stephen Melching, writer for such series as Batman, The Brave and the Bold, X-Men, The Animated Series, Star Wars Rebels, and the upcoming Star Wars Resistance. Welcome, Steve. All right, chumps, let's do this. Leroy Jenkins. Well, you could have done that on Video Game Week. <laughs> Okay, and last and certainly not least is Darren Docterman, a conceptual designer for film and TV series such as... Oh my goodness. <laughs> Master, Master Commander. Commander. No, I was about to say Chronicles of Riddick, and he said, don't mention yeah, that. Don't mention Master, it. Master, now you've done it. <laughs> Master now Commander. It's out there. It's already out People there. People know. The second season of Westworld. He was also the visual effects supervisor on Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition and the designer of our fantastic logo t shirts, now available at 430movie.com. No colon. <laughs> <laughs> No colons, please, people. Well, hi, everybody. It's good to be here. <laughs> that was After a hell of an introduction. That, my goodness. <laughs> You've never listened to me before, Krom. Uh, so we have a very exciting theme week for you this week. Um, it is, on the 430 movie, Sword and Sorcery Week. I'll this take week. swords for 50, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> on the 430 movie. And uh, we are going to be talking about the legendary sword and sorcery fantasy movies that uh, are beloved by many of us. And uh, it's an exciting... <laughs> that a few of us really like. <laughs> beloved by some... Tolerated by others, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm 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 Perhaps really excited. We'll learn the answer to the riddle of steel. Perhaps and I um, or the charm of making. Conan, what <laughs> number who can do I the charm of making? I can. Okay, let's hear it. Anal nathrach utfas bethut dochiel tiende. Well, how appropriate wow. he summoned the dragon, which is a great way to start. Welcome, Mr. Dragon. How are you? <laughs> Hi there. Sword and oh, I'm the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Our first film Monday, Peach know. Dragon. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, Monday. No. Monday on the four thirty movie, uh, Mr. Darren Docterman. I would like to nominate one of my favorite films from the early 80s, Dragon Slayer. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, nice. It is, Just the uh, last 10 minutes or the whole movie? No, <laughs> the whole movie, actually, okay. uh, because it is probably the most realistic depiction of a dragon ever seen in a movie. 
certainly before CG. Mm. Um, and it More just so than the Black Cauldron. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, it just feels so uh, real and yet fantastical at the same time. Um, the movie is just it, it is it is a deliberately paced film for you know for those of you listening at home that means slower than most. <laughs> um, but it has some amazing moments and some fun bits and. You know, it just it, it it sort of came out at the same time as uh, as Raiders of the, of the Lost Ark, and it sort of got run over by all the other movies that came out at the time. But it still is um, an amazing representation of this genre that it takes itself completely seriously. Yet it's uh, also a lot of fun, but it's also really scary in, in, in points. I mean, they, you know, when you have a realistic dragon, you also see the things that a realistic dragon does, and it's, sometimes it's not pretty, and people will be hurt badly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because on a previous episode, we were talking about the state of Disney at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the antithesis of what they are now, this media powerhouse. Back then, they were, you know, sort of scrounging around for anything to capitalize on a trend with Black Hole in 79, trying to be Star Wars. Um, you know, later on, um, we talked about Tron, you know, trying to tap into the video game uh, 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 phase. Dragon Slayer was definitely an attempt to sort of capitalize on epic fantasy, but also take advantage of the new tools. And it, it which... wasn't Disney. This was Paramount. Was it? Yeah. Why did it I was think it was? It wasn't a co. It was a co-production with Disney, wasn't it? I don't know about well, it. I think of it as a film that was really trying to capitalize on the growing popularity of Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. um, which uh, That's true. started kind of in the mid-70s and started to get really popular around 1979, 1980. Um, that's around the time I was introduced to it, and uh, it was D and D was incredibly popular right. in the early '80s, um, and oddly is again. It's very popular now, arguably more popular now than it was. Well, uh, Ashley then. plays D and D with a bunch of uh, very big, high-powered, uh, nerds. creative nerds. <laughs> uh, total tubers. Uh, in fact, I'm playing tomorrow. All well, day. This was made by um, uh, friends of George Lucas, uh, Matthew also Robbins heard. and Hal Barwood, mm-hmm. um, and they were sort of uh, on the you know in the friend group of Lucas and Spielberg and, and all those folks at the time, and this was sort of their big break, and it just never happened for them. Yeah. But I think that the that the movie itself is an amazing. Uh, um, well, the dragon Result. is Dragon's terrific. Awesome. I mean, it was yeah. was ILM at its best. Yeah, yep. ILM did yeah. the dragon. The dragon. And they developed a new method for doing this called go motion, mm-hmm. which puts the blur in an uh, in a stop motion animation, and it looks absolutely real. I mean, it was really the next extension of the Harry Harryhausen yep. model, and it just takes it to a new level. And that's why I joked at the beginning. I said um, I joked that it was Touchstone. No, I joked that it was uh, <laughs> that you know the last ten minutes because really it hides the ball for a long time. You don't see much of the mm-hmm. dragon, but all the stuff of what v- Verathrax or what was the Vermithrax? Vermithrax. That uh, it was great um, name, but I love that yeah, name. For it was dragon. such a remarkable and. I would argue that perhaps it is the greatest dragon stuff up until Game of Thrones. Um, I would agree with that. You know, yeah. I think it really was was pretty awesome. I don't love the movie, but I think the dragon uh, uh, stuff is amazing. And of course, Ian McDiarmid is in it in an early right. role. Right. And um, Ralph Richardson Ralph gives a Richardson great performance. Ralph Richardson is amazing as the wizard. 
Peter McNichol is in it in an early role. I mean, this is pre Ghostbusters two, which is <laughs> anything is better than Ghostbusters two. So um, it had some great location work, as I recall. Yeah. Um, and it has a little bit of frontal nudity, which is always nice. Yeah, and it was a yeah. PG. This is back in the day. The Nothing PG wrong, movie though. had right. tons of nudity, which right. was always, you know, which they realized is like you wouldn't hear profanity and people smoked and there was nudity and it was still okay for the kids. Yeah, <laughs> I would make that trade. <laughs> oh, the dragon is completely naked. <laughs> That's true. He is not wearing pants. Vermithrax, no pants. <laughs> But um, but yeah, it, it, I think Dragon Slayer is a, is a, is a great way to start the week. Um, on Monday, uh, Steve, uh, Tuesday. Well, uh, I would nominate uh, a a film that um, was the second R-rated film that I ever saw in a movie theater. Uh, so 1980, you go there. 1982's Conan, God the Barbarian. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to pick that one? I'll pick something. You know else. it. No, you go ahead. Okay. Uh, no, Conan uh, was a film that when it came out, I was really not expecting anything of it. Uh, I was 14 years old when it came out. Again, I was in the height of my Dungeon and Dragons playing, so I was really into that sort of sword and sorcery mode and really wanted to see anything you know, that, that had to do with that sort of material. And I, I had not read any of the, the Robert E. Howard books or the comics, although I, I kind of knew who Conan was. I, I didn't really know the mythology. Arnold Schwarzenegger was an unknown quantity at this point. He just looked like this muscly guy with a weird accent. And basically the only thing I knew about it was uh, I was listening. I've never prayed to you before, Crom. But if you don't listen to me now, to hell I, with I was you. listening to uh, Howard Stern when he was on uh, DC 101 in Washington, D.C. And he did, it, at the time, he used to do these little audio, humorous audio sketches. And he did... Uh, a series of, of episodes called Cohen the Barbarian, the first Jewish barbarian. And he was just making fun of Conan. Mm-hmm. And so I went into this thing really with no expectations and was absolutely blown away by what I saw on the screen. I was not prepared for the sort of the epic scale of this film, the violence in it, which was hardcore. Yeah. The, uh, you know, there's nudity in it, there's cannibalism. It has this tremendous music score uh, by uh, Basil Polidorus, uh, mm-hmm. which is just blasting out at you. It's really amazing. I think maybe the best fantasy score ever. Yeah, I, I, think I like it even better than Lord of the Rings. There or, are people, oh, I, I think, who have never seen the movie who would recognize that score. Yeah, it's it's very much uh, uh, similar to uh, um, uh, Orf. Uh, sure, the Carmina Burana. Carmina Burana. Yep. You know what's great about Polidorus too is he did a completely different score for Conan the Destroyer, the, mm-hmm. the dreadful PG sequel. But the score is great mm-hmm. for Conan the Destroyer as well, and it's completely different than what he did for the first, which is very Wagnerian and you know and and and. Uh, but uh, it's Conan more the, lyrical the second Conan one. Conan the Destroyer was a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. It's a a terrible movie, but it certainly destroyed the franchise. I don't know, but I, I love the first movie. I mean, it was you know directed by John Milius, uh, 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 co-written by Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think they used much of his script. Um, and if you have the Blu-ray or DVD, do yourself a favor and listen to the audio commentary track 
with Arnold Schwarzenegger and John Milius. We have Arnold right here, right now. Arnold, Arnold do you want to add remember anything doing about that track? <laughs> I remember doing the track. It's, it's so much fun because <laughs> they, they, we watched the movie and it's, uh, it's so funny. Look, he, he kicked <laughs> this guy in the crotch and it's, it's hilarious. It's I love it. It's, it's so much fun. And I remember those days when we were uh, working on Conan. Uh, it's... Uh, I I remember seeing my enemies driven before me and the hearing the lamentations of the women. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, that's really what the audio commentary is like. It's exactly, it's exactly like, that. like that. And, and John Melius, they're just watching this film as it plays and reminiscing about filming it and and just kind of commenting on what you're watching, <laughs> describing what you're watching and, in a really funny way. But it's mostly Schwarzenegger laughing at watching the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's basically that. And if you want to you know, pretend that you're sitting next to Arnold watching his movie, then you, That's what you, it's like. you listen to well, that and you know, it's great. It's funny, look, John Milius is such an interesting gonzo filmmaker. And a- another got, one of those people from the George Lucas yeah, crowd. Yeah, yeah, um, from the USC The days, USC mafia. Who just, you know, they're, they're, there's nobody like Milius yeah. anymore. There was a great documentary a couple years about him. I'm actually not, don't love any of his movies, but I love Milius. You know, yeah. he was just crazy right-wing gun nut, everything I hate, and yet I love this guy. Mm-hmm. And um, and 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 uh, you know, obviously, he wrote the uh, the great Quint speech uh, with, with Robert Shaw. For those Jaws. of you who don't know, uh, John Goodman's character in The Big Lebowski mm-hmm. is based on John Milius. Yeah. And then you have, um, uh, you know, he he did obviously uh, a lot of the Apocalypse Now mm-hmm. screenplay. And if if you've ever seen him speak. Uh, at a screening of Apocalypse Now, I mean, he is a rancor of the first class. I mean, he can just hold you completely spellbound. He, I mean, he was famous for like bringing firearms to meetings, mm-hmm. uh, which I wish we could still do. <laughs> you know, well, you can <laughs> if you. But if you've seen the uh, the Hearts of Darkness um, documentary, you kind of realize that the superhero of Apocalypse Now was actually Milius. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the the story about um, uh, Coppola seeing Fat Brando. <laughs> arrive and basically like seeing his entire movie going down in flames and and I and I think um what was the quote it was you know I swallowed a bug it was I swallowed a bug <laughs> uh that uh that basically in half an hour Milius had kind of talked Coppola out of his depression and convinced him that not only would they win the academy award they would win the nobel prize <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean god this guy I mean just amazing and Conan is everything that's in his wheelhouse. I mean, it is dark and violent and nihilistic and Nietzsche-esque. And it's and just, just like the, those concepts of masculinity, you know, real man's man kind of stuff. But, um, you know, James Earl Jones, right, kind of, I think, in some ways embodies what um, what interested Milius in this film even more than Conan did as mm-hmm. Thulsa Doom, although he really should have been thought on. Um, mm. But that moment when he says... Do you know what true power is? And then he looks up and he beckons to one of his uh, followers Minions, right? standing up, this woman yeah, standing yeah. up on a, on a ledge, yeah. and she simply falls to her death, right? And it's the whole riddle of steel thing. It's, you know, it's, you know what's, what's stronger, steel mm-hmm. or the flesh, mm-hmm. you know, that wields it? But it's the will yeah. to wield the steel, which is, which is fascinating. And then, you know, you see this, you know, this, this movie that's this kind of perfect, in some ways gem of of an action film that has like that has a lot on its mind 
and it kind of becomes the night, the 2011 Conan the Barbarian, where the the riddle of steel became something about fire and ice, and I'm not even sure what the hell that yeah, was about. Yeah, well, um, they, they don't belong in the same. And well, I love Marcus the Spell, but that that movie does not belong in the same it, breath. It's as, not uh, even the same. Well, it's basically swords don't kill people. False doom kills, kills people. people. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Well, he's. It's, I mean, James Earl Jones is so great in that movie, and I love his final speech. I mean, as a fourteen-year-old, I never heard anything like that when Conan is confronting him. I am your he's father. Helpless. He says that. Yeah, in the movie, he's going. Yeah, yeah if, if I'm not your father, then who is? You know, he made him, and yeah. if he strikes him down, then his reason for being is is done. You know, that was like such an insane concept. And not only that, how great is that transition? I mean, you look at like these clumsy transitions, like, you know, even Red October when they go from Russian to English, and it's like the push in from mm-hmm. Judgment Nuremberg and then the pullout. It's like that transition from him as a young boy to on the wheel uh, of pain to the, on the wheel of pain to is Arnold brilliant. is yeah. brilliant. It's such a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, with that, that great score well, playing. I, I, I mean, just... that scene at the beginning is so violent. It gets me every time where he's holding his mother's hand and they lop off her head and then she just drops away and the kid looks at his hand. I mean, I can't even now. I have kids. I can't watch it. But it was like uh, it's just so powerful. And that music. I mean, it's like an opera. And uh, it's just um, so much as Sandal Bergman. She's gorgeous and the original, totally empowered and strong. And she's no one's fool. She's a great, you know, she doesn't use her sexuality. She's just kick ass. I mean, totally believe it with Sandal Bergman that she is is a, is a, is a, is his equal, yes, is a powerful warrior. I mean, it was brilliant to cast her. She's a dancer. So her movements are so fluid and so precise mm. you can totally believe that she could best these people in in sword combat which is one of the things that people don't quite appreciate i think about robert e howard um that he his female characters um tended i mean look there were definitely like the princesses who needed to be rescued and and usually like conan got himself in a bunch of trouble uh trying to rescue them um but there were also characters like Valeria. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there was uh, there was Bellet. You know, there was uh, there were all of like these these uh, hell uh, Red Sonia mm-hmm. of Rogatino, um, who embodied uh, what what Sandal Bergman brought uh, to that role. Um, and and God bless her, she tried to do it again as the uh, as the villain in the 1985 Red Sonia, of which we will make no further mention. <laughs> well, you know, and what uh, Ashley's not mentioning, which we didn't mention when we introduced him, of course, is that Ashley is writing the new Red Sonia. Um, so he's done a deep dive into Robert E. Howard and is actually living in this world right now as we speak. Oh yeah, I, I could talk your ear off about um, just the ways in which uh, Milius really captures uh, what Howard was doing and kind of, and what a what a perfect marriage that was. Um, and also, you know, it's a it's a it's very hard, I think, to bring the level of gravity that Milius brings to that film to a film like that, especially in that era. There are mm-hmm. so many things that are working against you. The audience mm-hmm. hasn't been trained to watch a movie like that as a serious film. Mm-hmm. You've got an actor who can't use the language to the point where there's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant scene where it's the funeral, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, he's like, you know, he's just sort of staring at the fire and his friend is is crying. And the other guy- Subutai. Subutai. And, and, uh, and uh, says, you know, why do you cry? Because he cannot. 
So right. I cry for him. So I cry for him. It, because Schwarzenegger cannot cry. <laughs> so I cry so for I him. So I act for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the funny but thing about Gary, yeah, Gary Lopez is he was a surfer yeah. that they just plucked out of nowhere. He surf with Emilius. He was part of the, the surfer The Big Wednesday group. group yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And then they, they just cast him as- And he's great. The, he's charming. Well, he's great. Sandal Bergman's great. And then Again, you have, let's talk about Mako. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mako is great. Mako as the, the wizard. The tone of the movie is so good that scenes that you should be giggling at, you don't even think about giggling at because it's so um, serious and real and and uh, mean uh, almost. It's 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 reality as much as that thing can be. It creates such a sort of a relentless, consistent tone of. Uh, you know, it's it's got its fantastical fun elements, but the tone of it, it's dead serious, mm-hmm. even when there's comic relief happening. Well, because Melius is, you know, is a serious man. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's not somebody who's who's light and 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 uh, prone to. Uh, he's not frothy, frothy like us. <laughs> um, and you know. It was also the beginning of, of Max Van Sydow in his post-Bergman career oh, doing yes. the wise old man that he the would king. do in every fantasy sci-fi movie for the next 20 years, 30 years. I mean, it was like, you know, he played King Osric mm-hmm. and, and, you know, yeah, and Hannah and her sisters. Where people only knew, <laughs> wow, I mean, and look, and that's a brilliant performance uh, in Hannah and her sisters. I mean, Max Van Sydow was so good in that. I don't sell my art by the yard. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know, Van Sydow is just so... He uh, such a gravitas to the... I mean, you believe him as the king. He has that incredible voice and that great presence. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it's funny because he seems ancient for 40 years. He right. seemed the same age. <laughs> it's like even, you know, post-Bergman, it was like for 40 years he seemed like an old guy. You know, here he is still making movies, thank God, you right. know, and, and just fantastic. And he's, even though he's... In that he's not in the movie for long, he's great in it. Yeah, you know you, you gotta love Max Van Sydow, and this is the year Your after. Still suit is fitted desert fashion. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> Who right, told you to do that? Two years before Dune, and two years after Flash Gordon, where right. he's so great as Ming the Merciless, which we didn't do in Star Wars Week and probably should have. No, yeah. that's all right. Okay, there you go. You <laughs> and then let's, first. you know, let's also give a shout out to Ron Cobb. Absolutely, the, we spoke about production designer of the uh, of the movie and uh, does an amazing job. I mean, you know, Ron was considered a hardware guy, and here he is doing the least hardware movie of all. <laughs> right, uh, it's uh, it's just an amazing uh, trip into this uh, strange world that is based on you know sort of existing uh, cultures, but it's all sort of new. Where did they show Italy or Spain? Spain, Spain, Spain yeah, okay, and and it looks. It, I mean, again, pre-CGI, everything looked real. Yep. You have Nothing looked phony. They're shooting in the snow. They're shooting in the desert. They're shooting in mountains. I yeah, mean, I mean, everything but the snake looks great. And then right. the snake is even, that's pretty in amazing. In some shots, yeah. it looks pretty yeah, good. Yeah, you know, so. The giant snake. It's just. And you're so into it at that point that it. Doesn't such a not well, I think he makes you believe that Thulsa Doom can like take a snake and like hypnotize it and stretch it out into an arrow and right. fire it and hit you know Valeria. I watched it so it's many great. times as a kid. I mean, I saw the theater and then I watched it on video and HBO like all the freaking yeah. time. I probably have half the dialogue. But they make memorized. the worst pea soup in that movie. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> the soup is amazing. Like that shot sticks with me. Like when they dump it out and you go, "That's a hand," and that's. A hand. <laughs> Terrible. And I just got to say, since we mentioned Red Sonia, you know, uh, uh, sadly, our good friend Ryan Condell, who is a member of our Inside the Writers' Room brigade at uh, the Comic Cons, uh, uh, developed what would have been 
an absolutely fantastic uh, TV version of of Conan the Barbarian that he was doing with director Michael Sapochnik from Game of Thrones, and um, uh, I think would have really been done, you know, honored Robert E. Howard's work. And I guess Amazon has passed on it, which is really unfortunate because I think that show would have been pretty spectacular. I agree, and I was blessed enough uh, to have uh, Ryan allow me to uh, to read that uh, that pilot, and it is awesome. Yeah, he's it's a great writer. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a tragedy that that show isn't going. Yeah, I was I was really really sad to hear that. Um, but uh, so Monday, we're only on Monday. Jeez, no, no, we're on Tuesday. 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 Yes, I I, I stand corrected. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to do Wednesday okay. if I might. And uh, you know, Steve, you mentioned that Conan was the second R-rated movie you saw. Yes. I'd like to nominate the first R-rated movie. I assume you saw. It certainly was the first R-rated movie I saw in 1980. Excalibur, uh-huh. and you know we talk about Wagnerian operatic Orphean uh, fantasy, and you know this was Game of Thrones before there was a Game of Thrones. This was not Lord of the Rings. This was dark, edgy, screwy as only could come from director John Borman, <laughs> uh, the mind of uh, John Borman. You know the director of, of movies like Deliverance and. Uh, just uh, you know, went on to stuff like The Hidden Forest and just a really remarkable director who I don't think gets his due. But uh, Excalibur, again, pre-CGI era, but all anchored by one of the most brilliant performances I've seen in a movie, Nicole Williamson as Merlin. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. spectacular. Um, he's threatening and ominous and funny and wacky and all and you know it's 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 really a great great performance. Some a dream to others a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and very very early in Helen Mirren's career, mm-hmm. uh, who when, hated him. P.S. Who, who hated? They hated each other. Helen Mirren and Nicole Williamson. Well, everyone hates Nicole Williamson. Well, yeah, but I mean, like she's on Broadway. They, hated apparently, him. he's a complete ass, but doesn't mean he's not a great actor. So, um, but yeah, I've, I've heard that too. And uh, but um, but anyway, uh, Excalibur is just one of the great fantasy movies, um, and uh, with with a great cast, and it's one of the great telling of La Morte de Arthur, although. Um, John Borman obviously takes great liberties with that story. You know, uh, it's a combination of Once a Future King, La Morte de Arthur. Right. But uh, but I think it's just a, a terrific movie. And certainly I'm proud that that was my first R-rated movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, I, I, I have, you know, I enjoy the film, but I don't like the casting of Arthur. Hmm. Nigel Terry. Nigel Terry is yeah. kind of... Is kind of wrong in the young Arthur, and he's really wrong in the old Arthur. Um, I would not disagree with you, by it, the way. It's it's is it. I don't know what it is. He j- is it whether it's the physicality or the he doesn't have gravitas, uh, or he just can't do a line reading well. He's a little stiff. It's it's just he just ain't there. Um, but all of the secondary characters are brilliant. I love all of them, including um, you know uh, our favorite. Second favorite starship captain. You know who that is? Benjamin Sisko. (laughs) (laughs) Sir Patrick Stewart uh, is in it. I I forget which uh, which night he plays. Yeah, there are a lot of them. There's you know it's it's the it's the list of 
all of the British actors of the time in it in various grades of shiny armor, well, glinting in the sunlight. A lot of you know sort of beloved actors in early performances, like Gabriel Byrne, who played Uther sure. Pendragon, a very loathsome character. And it's funny. I Liam was, Neeson is also Liam in Neeson it. was Gawain, yeah, James uh, transform <laughs> on the form and aspect of the Duke. <laughs> well, it's funny, and they were all fighting over grain, and I never thought she was all that. You know, I never could understand, and I just realized that she was either married or the daughter of uh, John Borman, yeah, he's Katrine Borman. Uh-huh. I mean, I know he, Mordred sex. was his son, but it's like, <laughs> oh you know, Grain was, you know, was, uh, was um, you know, somehow related to Borman. Uh-huh. And, yeah. uh, I did it's not a know that. There's so many stories of the production that are just... Yeah, she's the daughter of, 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 of John Borman, and it's like, yeah. I was like, really, her? Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> Do you know the, uh, the skull cap that, that oh, yes. Merlin wore? Saved his life. Is that true? Yes, because a uh, there was a, a the I guess the the production was notoriously not safe. Like you mm. have like the knights <laughs> running around in this armor that yeah. like weighed like like it was full weight, and they had these yeah. swords that were full weight, yep. and they didn't bother to like to train the actors like how to use them really. <laughs> and Borman sometimes wouldn't call cut, and these guys mm. would be swinging these big goddamn like swords at each other. But apparently, I think it was. Um, a piece of the set mm-hmm. collapsed from above wow. and hit Nicole Williamson like right on the head. And if he had not been wearing the skull cap, it would have oh, killed him. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be on that set. It's like, uh, it must have been like like living in like a live action Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> like. You know who also has a small role in that? Syrian Hines, who's another oh, fine actor man. who doesn't get enough love. I mean, he's terrific in Rome, and he's mm-hmm. Munich, and mm-hmm. just a you know wonderful character actor um, who's worked consistently, but that was one of his earliest roles as well. I just, that, it's, that armor was just so literally dazzling in that oh, movie. Gosh, it was totally. so shiny and so kind of over the top, but perfect at the, in the same way, right. you know? Uh, it really captures that sort of storybook. It's, it's certainly the best design element in the movie and the most recognizable design element. Well, I think it was not a particularly expensive movie, and I think they made use of of, of what they had, like, mm-hmm. the you know, a lot of practical locations. They didn't build much at all, and, you know, there's not a lot of really elaborate... Camelot was built. Camelot, yeah. And it looked terrible. Mm. They didn't have a lot of money. Um, they didn't have a lot of money, but and in, unfortunately, it shows in in some spots. And I, I would I would argue that the cinematography is really uneven. Um, and yeah, I, there are things I dislike about the movie that are purely technical. Mm. Uh, but I, I still think as a as a whole, it's uh, it's certainly memorable and uh, and worthy of inclusion. And nobody was making movies like this back then. I well, mean, this was any any time. No yeah. one ever yeah. made a movie like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely yeah. I mean, it's fantasy, but done. You know, dark and real, and 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 again, a lot of the use of the Carl Orff music uh, mm-hmm. uh, is is so effective. Um, you know, throughout using classical music, you know, sort of like Kubrick did in two thousand one. Right. Really, 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 I just think it's a very special film and really a great example of uh, of fantasy. You know, before the sort of age of fantasy we're in now, which is a very different kind of 
you know, Harry Potter, you know, sort of light and fanciful magic as opposed to, <laughs> you know, this dark and twisted kind of world that Excalibur presented. Well, and, and I think they've done uh, adaptations of the Arthurian myth so many times in film, but I think this one is probably the one adaptation that kind of stands out. Yeah, this yeah, is not sure. Disney's The Sword in the Stone, yes. No, yeah. well, because it's a, it's, Again, a combination of sort of the reality and uh, grittiness about it, but it's also very storybook. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know it's portrayed in a in a surreal manner, so it's uh, it's completely uh, it still looks legendary. Well, like when Lancelot goes and meets you know uh, uh, Guinevere, Guinevere. In, in sort of secret, right. and it's all you know real. And this is before you had color grading and everything, but it's all right. lush and green, and mm-hmm. right. you know. And then of course, and they wake up and uh oh, whoopsie, yeah. and the, gra- <laughs> the Grail is gone. They send Indiana Jones to go find it. Right. Oh, wrong movie, and uh, and then everything gets really dark. And right. uh, I mean, it's just even like when you know he, uh, he rides out across. The, the the dragon's breath to, mm-hmm. to go to a grain, which is very moody and atmospheric. And it's I, only a model. It knows <laughs> it knows exactly what it is as a film, um, and it, it you know Borman never succumbs to uh, to any temptation to wink at the audience yeah. or to make it feel contemporary or or to do any number of things that I think could easily knock you out of this film. And also, much like. Um, Conan the Barbarian, Milius's Conan the Barbarian. Um, Excalibur is a movie that's about something, and I and I think you know you have characters who are actually struggling with, you know, what does loyalty mean? What does it mean to be good? What is magic? You know, I, I just there are all of these things that um, I think inform the film that elevate it, right. so that it doesn't just feel like you're going through an exercise and, wow, isn't it cool that he's got freaking Excalibur? It, it feels like Excalibur is as much a, a, a burden um, as it is like his, it's not his lightsaber, I'll put it right. that way. These are all movies with a strong directorial point of view, and I would also add that in the case of Conan, um, you know, and uh, Excalibur. These are movies that are written by the director. Now, John Borman wrote it with uh, Roscoe Pallenberg, but he was a writer and a director. And the case of Conan, it was a writer, director, and John Milius. So you you really sense that vision, a cohesive vision in both movies, which I think and makes also the them... same thing with Dragon Slayer as well. Yeah, we, we, right with Barwood and and, and, and Robbins. Robbins, which really makes them flawed masterpieces. You know, I would not hold up any of these as as as. You know, unmitigated right. successes, but they are flawed masterpieces. Yeah. So that's. Well, let's also. Be, I want to do a quick shout out to the the one sheet for Excalibur, which mm-hmm. is. Terrific. I had that on my wall too. It's Bob Peak. Bob right? Peak. Yep. Yeah. That's Wonderful a artwork on that on that poster. Because in a previous episode, I said I had Conan and Psycho Two and Revenge of the Jedi. I I I also had uh, Excalibur because that was a freaking gorgeous poster. I had that in my office for a long time mm-hmm. too. I had that framed. It's a beautiful, beautiful poster. Where is it now? I'd like to put that back up in my office. <laughs> um, I don't have it. Uh, so, <laughs> you don't have it. Okay. So, uh, Ashley, uh, we're, we're on Thursday now. Uh, do you have a film in mind? What to say you? To show on Thursday on the 430 movie? 1985's Red Sonja. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, never, well, never. Bridget We're Nielsen. Expunge that from. Uh, well, that also from... had a great score. Ennio Morricone. Mm-hmm. With, yes, uh, it did. Saying Sonia, Sonia. This chorus of literally <laughs> saying the name of the movie throughout. Good work, Sonia. Dying... <laughs> <laughs> Lord Calamdor. Conan the Destroyer. <laughs> Conan the Destroyer. No, um, I, you know, I, it's becoming sort of a pattern with me that I, I channel my inner 
like 11 year old or 12 year old. Cloak and dagger is not eligible. Cloak and dagger. <laughs> Damn it. No. A dagger is um, kind of sword. It's a little sword. It's a tiny little sword. <laughs> and there is kind of a cloak, and you wear that if you're a thief. And you're... Um, I am selecting Krull. Okay. Oh, interesting right. choice. Yeah. Um, you know, Krull is not a film um, that you it's go, not oh, a well, film. Well, Stop it's not right a film. There. It's a it's TV not show. A film. It's a commercial. It's a, it's a dessert topping and a floor wax. Uh, no, Krull is not. I would say a, a great film, but Jesus, there's so much <laughs> cool shit in it. And when I was a kid, like the thing that got me, so many things got me. I mean, this is a this is sort of a sword and sorcery movie about an alien invasion. How unbelievably <laughs> fucking cool is that, right? You've got like the the Black Fortress, which lands, I guess, from outer space, <laughs> like on this fantasy world, and the Beast, like just and his dudes, and it's just there's just something about it that is just it is it's it takes like the next level, and it says screw it. What's the next level after that in terms of how bananas this can get? And on top of that, it throws in Lizette Anthony, who is unbelievably beautiful. I had such a crush on her, and for my money. The coolest, greatest weapon in the history yeah. of sword and sorcery films, the glaive. So badass. That was about the coolest thing I'd ever seen. <sighs> had the coolest name. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything about it was awesome. Yeah. Right? It's like I could have just watched somebody just throw the glaive again. It's like a, the, you know, in the age of the, you know, ninja stars were kind of a big thing at that point. Right. And that was like the ultimate ninja star. <laughs> right. <laughs> you could kill all the ninjas with the glaive. Remember your failure at the glaive. And by the way, it's, we have it's Yoda uh, here to comment. Ken Marshall on. is the lead. And he had hair then. And, um, a lot of hair. Yeah. And uh, he, yes, like Peter McNichol, it was super curly. Wait, yeah. no, was it? Yes, yes, it was. Um, he, uh, Ken Marshall, if you're a, a super geek like us, you'll know him as Commander Eddington from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, which had my second favorite captain, Benjamin Sisko, <laughs> um, where he was quite excellent, appeared in several episodes uh, as sort of the, uh, the as sort of a, a, a maquis foil uh, for, for Captain Sisko. But uh, so I have a, a soft Deep spot. Cuts. Thank you. Yeah. I, have a, I have a soft spot. And of course, this had Liam Neeson in it as well, playing Keegan. That's so, right. You know, every fantasy movie in the 80s had to have Liam Neeson in it. <laughs> right? Why was he, he not going? I think been 50 years well, old. Well, because he has a very specific years. set of skills. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Make me a nightmare for beasts like you from the outer dark. I have to say, there are two things I. I am not. I am not a fan of this movie me remotely. Uh, in fact, it, it was the summer that it came out, and uh, I was uh, at, I was going to uh, Brown for, for some uh, summer camp thing at Brown University, and uh, we went on a, a, a road trip, and we got to see there were two movies we had a choice between. This is the anti Sophie's choice, by the way. It was <laughs> Crawl and Jaws 3D, and I had to figure Oof, out which movie oh I boy. wanted to see less. So I ended up going to see. <laughs> I, had, I, I went to see Crawl. And, and and the two things that I take from that experience, the James Horner score is magnificent. Yep, absolutely. Um, too many notes. Too many. It's <laughs> magnificent. You, and 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 uh, you know I heard it in Battle Beyond the Stars, but sure. I was glad to have it back. And uh, <laughs> and then of course the beautiful and wonderful actress Lisette Anthony, yes. who I I thought you know after this travesty would never work again. 
and she's in one of my absolute favorite movies and brilliant in it, uh, Woody Allen's Husbands and Wives, mm. uh, where she plays the dopey uh, a, a girl, yoga uh, a, a girlfriend of Sidney Pollack's character who's on the rebound from his divorce from Judy Davis. And she is so oh, good in that so movie. Yeah. She is so good. And I'm like, I had, to, I had to do a double tape. This is before IMDb. Wait, is that the from Crawl? That can't be, that <laughs> cannot be Lissa from Crawl. And it was, and oh my God, is she good in that, in Husbands and Wives, which is really one of Woody Allen's like masterpieces, you know? So um, I'm like, oh, maybe this Crawl isn't so bad after all. Crawl <laughs> to me always uh, was like, what would, what kind of sci-fi movie would Terry Gilliam make if he was absolutely terrible at making movies. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Oh, my Although, God. <laughs> look, I think what Crawl really is, there, there's like this whole class of movies that, that deep in our hearts, we <laughs> want them to be great. Because sure. there, are th- there are these things that are just conceptually about them that are just like, oh, we love God, all we're the ingredients. rooting for you. We we're love the ingredients. You. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is, in my opinion, it is so worth a watch if you haven't seen it before. Yes. You just to kind of, yeah. again, you're not going to walk out going like, well, I really feel as though I've, I've learned something about no. the Riddle of Steel. You're, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but you are going to walk away thinking, wow, the glaive is cool. And wow, that was a cool idea. Hey, and wow, was it, in it. Yeah, and Commander <laughs> Reddington's in it. Uh, you know, it's it's. There are so many things to to recommend it, like as a as a watch. Um, certainly, sure. I wouldn't recommend it as anybody's favorite film. Um, it's uh, it's no battle beyond the stars. Well, it's so interesting but, too is that Peter Yates directed it. Yes, and the director of Bullet. The director right, right. Bullet, which and explains it, the great car chase. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> in, the, in the middle of Pro. <laughs> he chase. also did the great. You know, bicycling movie, uh, Breaking, Breaking Away, away Breaking. in '79. Yes, Breaking Away is amazing. Yeah. It's a great film. And you can later... only imagine what sort of was medications he was on no, at the time so. that no. took away his reasoning, right, to do this, and and took away his skills for or, this moment well, in time. I understand time. that the production um, was very difficult. Like that, there were just they would. They would build things that just wouldn't work, yeah. and it was just the effects were a big problem. And just, I, I think it just got away from everybody. It is the dictionary definition of a train wreck, yeah. um, in terms of movies. Uh, I I watched it again for the first time in a long, long time, uh, a few weeks ago, and I was just going, "Oh my God, what the hell are they doing?" It's just <laughs> each new scene, you're just going. Oh my God! Oh my God! Why are you doing this? And it's just it, it, they just they just pile on the stuff, and it's slow. Constantly. It's lethargically yeah. paced, and it's just. But you know, it's I not would so say that paced. this film <laughs> is probably one of the only films that we've programmed on the Four Thirty Movie Podcast that would actually be. <laughs> yeah. Plus, it's like you don't have to rush home from school that day. You're like, oh, crawls on. You know, I'll yeah. hang out. <laughs> I, 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 I walk home outside. and stay, take the oh, bus. Yeah. You know, so it's good. Yeah. Oh, good. I got home just in time for the part with the glaive. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Anthony, wait, is she like not wearing? Oh, yay. <laughs> okay. So I have Thursday strange strings in my utility belt, <laughs> which brings us. So chum. we should. We might want to mention that we. 
we don't really do a lot of planning uh, in advance of the show. I'm sure you <laughs> well, can't tell. I don't think we need to mention it. No. That is abundantly clear. But uh, <laughs> we, did, we did decide to disqualify Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings right. films and Which the Hobbit Which is legitimate because this. it's not really sword and sorcery. Yeah. Sword and sorcery is a type of pulp genre. And I think that Lord of the Rings is more elevated fantasy. I think it would be a, for Fantasy Week if we yeah. did fa- But so I don't so think so it's sword and sorcery. listening, why the fuck did they not mention Lord of the Rings? And, Those and are amazing. To be honest, the, the extended version of Fellowship of the Ring would fit through five days. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's sort of In fact, you could do like one ending per day of Return of the King. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Lord of the Rings month on the 4:30 movie. Well, I, I, you know, about once a year, I revisit those extended editions, and I usually watch one disc per night. So I watch you know half of Fellowship, and then the second half of Fellowship, and then half of the Two Towers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you really do fill out a whole week. All of the Shining Mile took six months. To make by Richard Richard Taylor. Taylor. Five, <laughs> five people. It's really wonderful. The the workers at Weta um, making this by hand every day, twelve hours a day, no water. Uh, they, <laughs> you they never know who's going to show hard. up on the four thirty movie. So I, yeah, I just wanted to get that out there. So for Friday. We have some other options. Uh, like I, what, I would Steve? throw out maybe uh, Clash of the Titans. Mm. Interesting. That that that. Bobo the Owl and I'm, Harry Hamlin. Bubo. I mean, Bubo. I think Bubo. I think uh, another uh, another option might be Legend with uh, Tom Cruise oh, and yeah. Mia Sara. Isn't that yeah. like? Doesn't that fall under our definition of high fantasy? No, but... no. <laughs> I guess because it's like an asshole with a sword no and a princess. No, no. There's, there's not a whole lot of swords. Okay, Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk with Avery Brooks as Hawk. But what? Of course, Lady the Hawk. Beastmaster. Beastmaster. Right. Remember when HBO stood for Hey Beastmasters on? Hey, <laughs> on. Oh my goodness! Constantly. And of it's course, a man and two ferrets fighting evil. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of uh, of uh, uh, Willow, but um, yeah. I I know George Lucas uh, uh, is. Yeah, this is uh, Phil. I wanted to do uh, sort of a take on Tolkien and uh, do a little fantasy against some little people uh, taking <laughs> so, on evil. George, would you consider this a sword and sorcery movie, or is it strictly a fantasy movie? Uh, no, I think it's more fantasy. It's uh, you know, it's uh, literary uh, type fantasy. <laughs> wow, it's, uh, epic uh, myth mythological storytelling. Wow. And, and, I got and, my uh, friend Ron directed it. <laughs> Excellent job. We're good. Well, thank you, George. Thanks for dropping so by. I know you were checking out the museum down in uh, <laughs> um, USC. There's uh, Dragonheart, um, of course, with uh, oh Sean Connery. Sean Connery is the dragon. Ooh, yeah, Ooh. And, and you know the Ooh. good thing is we have Sean Connery here to talk about Dragonheart. I'd rather get... not talk about Dragonheart ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But well, do we, you know, would something like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail I, yeah, qualify? That's, that's actually what I was thinking about. Or Monty the Python Princess and the Holy Bride. Grail. Well, yeah, that's Princess true. Bride. Princess Bride. Fantasy. More fantasy. Love oh, yeah, there's no know. sorcery in it. What, fan, it, it well, well, a little bit. A little mm-hmm. bit. And, and yeah, like what's Carol Kane and Billy Princess, Crystal? Do they, aren't they like kind of? The, yeah, the, the, kind of like make the magic I would say that Lady Hawk and Princess Bride kind of exist in their own little genre mm-hmm. of like right. you know a sort of they're they're really romances yeah. even you know what I mean it, it's they're just not the same. Like, so we're sort, gonna save yeah. it for Rob Reiner week on the fourth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I think to me, Sword and Sorcery is like there is some 
a hole with like a special weapon and there's a sorcerer and yeah. that's the bad guy and and that is kind of the heart of what the uh, of what the conflict is which is why I selected cloak and dagger for this week <laughs> <laughs> so look I think I think you make a very good point so if we're gonna say that Princess Bride doesn't ex- is not strictly sword and sorcery which it's really not um, Monty Python and I the Holy Grail. To, I mean, is they have a, a really good named Tim. They do. Yeah. Some call him Tim. Some. They're seeking a magical item. Yeah. Uh, there's a collection of Look, knights with swords. If Excalibur <laughs> is a fairly is, silly place, is but, in the list, right? Then Monty Python and the Holy Grail has to be seriously considered. Well, not seriously considered. Well, is, is there's Excalibur nothing Monday? serious about Holy Grail, but it has to be considered. Actually, I think it, on a production design stance. I think it looks a heck of a lot more like Arthurian legend would have looked than, yeah, <laughs> than than Excalibur does. That's some lovely oh, filth man, down that's here. I, I honestly, if we're going to kind of talk about it from that point of view, I don't think either of them look anything like what it would have looked like <laughs> um, because it's all very um, it's all very medieval, um, right? And that is not. Actually, like no. you know, kind of the the where the the source comes from. I mean, but obviously, look, you know, the 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 Arthur uh, mythos have been interpreted, reinterpreted, um, combined, you know, dropped into like the the food processor and sent right. to frappe over and over again. But to be fair, the Arthurian legends began to be told in the medieval age. Mm, mm, a little bit. Um, the uh, the. It's, I mean, just the history of all this stuff is like incredibly fascinating. I mean, shit, like not all of it was even even originated in England. Like right. Chrétien, uh, yep. who was the, the French poet, uh, Lancelot in The Knight of the Cart. Lancelot, as he was originally conceived, is an idiot. Right. Like a complete idiot. He's not the best knight. He's kind of a dumbass. <laughs> well, um, if you sleep with the king's wife, you're a dumbass. Yeah, you're definitely <laughs> a dumbass, right? <laughs> you know, you would, you'd better be a badass dumbass yeah. if you're going to, you know. Not, you know I'd like not to nominate to... the Next Generation episode Cupid. <laughs> I, I think that it, we're pretty much uh, uh, at a point where it's either Monty Python, the Holy Grail, or we haven't talked about, but you mentioned it, the Beastmaster, which of course had the virtue of having man who talks to the animals, Mark Singer. Also, the aliens, Tanya Roberts, uh, the great Tanya Roberts, right? And um, one of the uh, like uh, one of the uh, a seminal moment of uh, PG film. nudity, yeah, and and, uh, <laughs> and of course a villain played by Rip Torn, you know, uh, and and then it also had the great character actor John Amos, you know, which uh-huh. is always a sign of a. I think Great Beastmaster good times. It's good times ahead. It's a worthy competitor. I have have no qualms about having Beastmaster in the list. My question, though, but also, you know, let's we should consider a Clash of the Titans too. That's uh, true. uh, Which Ray Harryhausen is not represented yet. That's true. Actually, that is the Argonauts. In fact, to me, that might be the the winning argument because I don't know that you can really. Have a have a complete so, conversation about know, sword and sorcery. I, I have to agree. I think that's a very powerful argument. You know, how can we, you know, particularly to an audience where a lot of the people listening may not even know who Ray Harryhausen is, right. never seen a Harryhausen picture. You know, and it was such a staple of those four thirty movies as well, and right, certainly right, the, right. the television of the era. So the to just ignore Sinbad Ray Harryhausen, and the Argonauts. Argonauts, yeah, and 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 you know, arguably Clash of the Titans is probably. The worst of all those movies, uh, maybe you know Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Maybe it's better than that. But, but it's the most accessible. But it's the most accessible. It, it, it definitely shows the influence of Star Wars with the robotic owl. <laughs> sure. it, it also has the vestiges of that '70s 
all-star cast. You know, right, you yeah. get Lawrence Olivier and Ursula Andress and Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith and and then Harry Hamlin as Perseus. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh and it, it, the Medusa was really cool. Yeah, it was, Mo- I, I'm kind I of I like those giant scorpions too. Yeah, I always yeah. thought those are awesome. And yeah. uh, you know, Pegasus got a flying horse and of course, you know, it's got Ooh, Of course, of course. We're we're talking of, uh, horse, about the course. 1981 Clash of the Titans, not the more recent right, the version, film but, noir. Oh, um, I think you're talking about the <laughs> film noir. <laughs> Clash and of course the it has, you know, the the uh, you know, the legendary line release the Kraken. Yes. That's right. Right. And by the way, you know, isn't it great? I mean, well, I think we need a t-shirt that says that. But but I think it's important that monsters like the Kraken have names like Kraken and not names like Steve. Because just imagine (laughs) how different Clash of the Titans would be if the line were release Steve. It just doesn't have the same mythic power. My biggest problem is it did not have Liam Neeson in it, whereas the remake did. Liam Neeson. Um, but I, I think that it really does feel like I think we got to go with Clash we got to go with Clash of the Titans to end our week. What do you think? So, so say we all. all. Yes. So Monday, <laughs> Monday is Dragon, Dragon Slayer. Slayer. Tuesday, Conan the Barbarian. Wednesday is Excalibur. Thursday, Krull. And on Friday, closing Wrap out Sword and Sorcery Week is Crap of the Titans. Uh, Clash, Clash of the Titans. Of the Titans. <laughs> So this has been Sword and Sorcery Week on the 430 which, which movie. Which I saw at the uh, Dale City Cinemas in uh, Northern Virginia. Was Ashley where, there at the I, same I time? Was, <laughs> I was not there, but I did see it with in, you the, in, uh, spirit. in the theater. And I want to remind you that my new book, So Say We All, is on sale at bookstores now. Um, we also uh, have an exciting new website, 430movie.com, no colon, featuring the amazing uh, uh, 430 movie swag designed by our very own Darren Docterman, which is available for sale. So support the podcast and support um, you looking cool and suave in our awesome 430 apparel. Um, and let's not to for, uh, forget to thank our uh, I engineer. was just about to do that. I want to thank Bill Ritter here at Electric Studios, um, who has done a fantastic job making us sound good we'll never look good but we sound good (laughs) and it's all because of bill and uh our friends here at electric entertainment who have kindly provided uh the studio for us to use for this ridiculous podcast and i also want to um uh, tell you how you can continue the conversation on social media with steve melching at at steven melching darren dockerman at darren dock one r ashley miller at ashmaster zero and I'm Mark A. Altman. I can be reached on Twitter and Instagram at Mark A. Altman. So thank you for joining us for the 430 movie. We'll be back with an all-new theme week next week. And we look forward to seeing you at the movies. Time to <laughs> sheath those swords. <laughs> <laughs> the hell would you. Thanks for joining us for a special encore presentation of the 430 movie. We'll be back with all new episodes this spring for season two. Meanwhile, you can follow our other podcasts in Glorious Trexperts, the ultimate podcast for Star Trek fans with a life wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, join Chase Masterson if you're a Star Trek Discovery fan for Disco Nights on Sundays every week. And if you're a fan of unmade movies, films that were developed but never saw the light of a projector bulb, you don't want to miss Steven Scarlatta and Josh Miller hosting Best Movies Never Made, which is available on Mondays wherever you listen to podcasts. These are all great shows worthy of your attention. So while you're jonesing for more episodes of the 430 movie, I hope you'll check out some of our other podcasts on the Electric Surge Network. Meanwhile... 
Special thanks to our engineer, Bill Ritter, who makes it all possible, our producers, Natalie Mascali and Cynthia Hodge, and, of course, Dean Devlin, who makes it all possible here at the Electric Surge Network. Thank you, and we're looking forward to being back live with you in the spring with all new theme weeks here on the 430 Movie. Eyewitness News starts now. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.